Please turn your attention to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. We come back to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Let me read his words again. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come with anticipation to this time. Because we know that where your word is rightly preached, your voice is clearly heard. And so we do pray that I would be able to rightly handle your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would have open ears and open hearts to what you would say to us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As far as you know, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, and I hope it's been an encouragement not just how to pray, but to pray. I hope this series has not just been informational, but transformational, because we need prayer. Our church needs prayer. Our world needs prayer. We've been away from this for two weeks, and so I thought we'd just do a quick recap of the series. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer together moments ago. We began this series considering our Father in Heaven. This moment of recollection, just pause. Father in Heaven, pause. Remembering who it is that we pray to, because who we speak to determines how we communicate. And we looked at hallowed be your name, praising before petition as a reminder that we love God for who he is, not just for what he can do for us. If we don't praise before petition, if we're, we only petition, how, how do we know that we only love God for what he can do for us? And then we considered your kingdom come. And we're reminded that our God is often too small and our prayers are often too small. You know, the, the, the final solution to our, our, many of our problems is that God's kingdom would come, that his rule and reign would be established in our hearts and in our lives and in our world. And then we consider this pray, phrase, your will be done. Prayer is surrender, fundamentally. Prayer is not trying to bend God to our will. Sometimes that's what we make prayer into. It's not trying to bend God to our will. It's about bending our will to God's. And then most recently, give us today our daily bread. Petition. We're, we're familiar with this. And there is a place for petition after we praise. And this, this phrase, give us today our daily bread, it reminds us that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He wants to hear from us every day. For simple things, like bread, there's no prayer too small with a loving Heavenly Father. That brings us to today. We come to the fifth petition, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And as I've reminded us in this series, the first three petitions are about God, and the second three are about us. It's not wrong to pray for ourselves, but the priority is praying for God's concerns first. And then we can rightly pray for ourselves. When we do pray for ourselves, it's interesting. One petition is about our physical needs, our daily bread. And then the other two are about our spiritual needs, forgiveness and spiritual protection. 
Like Jesus is reminding us that our spiritual needs should get just as much of our prayer attention as our physical. So, so often we, we focus just on our physical needs, our, Ill, our, our sick aunt and our, our, our stress and our circumstances, and that's important. But Jesus is saying our spiritual needs are just as important. Today, Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness. I wonder if you saw the recent New York Times article entitled, I Want to Be Forgiven. It begins, the supplicants clustered outside the enormous closed doors. They paced the hallway. They fidgeted on benches. They knitted their hands and waited and waited for their 10-minute chance at mercy. The article is about the Minnesota Board of Pardons and the people who go there are people like this. There's a tall man in a sharp blazer caught 25 years ago with 127 doses of LSD. A ponytailed Navy veteran who critically injured someone while driving drunk in 2008. A former addict once found unconscious in a car with a syringe in his arm. It's people who are dogged by their past. People who have been reduced to their crimes and mistakes sometimes committed years ago. People who have carried heavy burdens for years. They come before the Minnesota Board of Pardons in search of forgiveness and restoration, and redemption. There are three members of the Board of Pardons, the Governor, the Attorney General, and the State's Chief Justice. And the supplicants that come before them get 10 minutes to make their case for a pardon, which means everything to them. A pardon means a clean record. It means no longer having to identify yourself as a felon. It often means a better job and better housing opportunities. It means the ability to chaperone school trips. It is a return to society's good graces, the lifting of heavy burdens. In the words of this article, a pardon carries the emotional heft of society's forgiveness. One man quoted in the article said this, I just want to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven. In 10 minutes, they read their statements. They express their remorse. They describe the amends and restitution that they've tried to make and then their future hangs in the balance as they wait for a decision from the three-member board. Some are pardoned and restored, and some are denied and crushed. In the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying that we all need a pardon before God. It's interesting, this is one of the three petitions that Jesus teaches us to pray for ourselves as a suggestion that one thing we most need in life is forgiveness from God. You know, when we're sick and in need of healing, we go see the doctor. When our car breaks down and needs to be repaired, we go to the mechanic. When we're experiencing marital problems and we need some resolution, we go see a counselor. When you struggle with a guilty conscience and you need forgiveness, where do you go? Jesus says we can go to God. I want to consider this morning three aspects of this fifth petition the forgiveness we need to receive, the forgiveness that God gives, and the forgiveness that we need to give. Three things, the forgiveness we need to receive, the forgiveness God gives, and then thirdly, the forgiveness we need to give. First, the forgiveness we need to receive. To say that we need forgiveness is to admit that we've done wrong. I mean, otherwise, if you've, if you've done nothing wrong, you don't need to ask for forgiveness. It's as simple as that. One of the fundamental assumptions of the Bible is that we're all sinners in the sight 
of God. And, and the Bible has a very rich vocabulary of sin to help us understand what this is. Sin is a breaking of God's law. Sin is rebellion. Sin is pollution. Sin is missing the mark. It's interesting, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, the word for sin here that Jesus uses is the word debts. It's, it's a financial word. We, we know this. I mean, when you owe someone money and you haven't paid them back yet, you're indebted to them. You have a debt. And what Jesus is saying is we're all spiritually indebted to God. You know, when we're, when we're in financial debt, we know what to do. You know, we, we begin working to pay off the debt. I know a lot of people who, who accrue a whole lot of credit card debt, maybe in their, their, their foolishness when they're young and they have a mountain of debt. What do they do? I've seen people do this. They save and work. They work and save. They work and save. And eventually, they pay off that debt. And we might be tempted to take the same approach with God for our moral debts before him. Just give me some time, God, and I'll pay you back. Maybe we take this posture of the, the, the prodigal son going back to his father. I'll be your hired hand. I'll work my way back into your good graces. That's a, we're all tempted to do that. God, I've screwed up, but just give me another chance. Give me some more time and I'll make it up to you. And we're basically saying we don't need forgiveness. We don't want any favors. We just want more time. God, just give me a payment plan and I'll do it. But the problem with that is our debts are so great, we can't pay off our, our, our debts through moral hard work, no matter how much time we have. Notice Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, plural, because we have a multiplicity of debt. What is this debt? Fundamentally speaking, God is our creator. Whether you acknowledge that or not, the Bible says God is the one who created all of us for his glory. And because of that, we belong to him. We have a responsibility. We owe him our worship and our, our, our obedience because he created us. He made us. He takes care of us. And therefore, when we don't give him our worship and our obedience, when we turn away from him, that's what the Bible calls sin. And it runs very deep. Let me just spend a few moments on this. Theologians would identify something called original sin. That's something maybe you're not even aware of. Romans 5 says, through the, dis through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. As a way of saying, when Adam sinned in the garden, the whole human race fell with him. When Adam was appointed as our representative in the garden, what it meant is because he sinned in the garden... What flows to us because he was our representative is the guilt and corruption of sin. So that we're born. We're all born now. Post-Adam sin in the garden, we're all born into the guilt and corruption of sin. And you say, wait a second. That's not fair. We live in a very individualistic society. That's not fair. Why am I paying the consequences for Adam's sin? And I don't know. The answer is, I think ultimately, is God set it up this way. And it's not. It's not really a strange concept because we live in a representational democracy. We elect representatives and then we, we send them to Washington, D.C. to act on our behalf. And their decisions, their actions flow to us. What, what they decide, the consequences flow to us. That's the concept of original sin. Adam was appointed as our representative in the garden. And when he sinned, we all sinned with him. And so we are born now into guilt and corruption, the guilt and corruption of sin. Now, if you disagree with that, you struggle with that, it really becomes a moot point because then quickly we have to deal with the reality of actual sin. 
I mean, we're, we're guilty because of actual sin. Parents witness this all the time. Our, our, kid, our babies are very cute. They, they, they are angelic when they sleep. But you know that in a matter of time, not too long before they start disobeying and manifesting their selfish nature and being disagreeable and rebellious. And, and then as they grow, they, they fight with their siblings and they're mean and they lie. And, and you say, where did this come from? I mean, no one needs to teach our kids this. This comes naturally. This is all of us. We're all guilty by actual sins, whether they're the sins of commission, breaking God's commands, or the more searching one, the sins of omission. Not doing what we're, we ought to, to do. Let me put it this way. If our private thoughts and our private actions were somehow posted on this screen for everyone to see, what would happen? We'd have to leave town, right? I'm convinced of that. We'd have to move. We'd have to move. We'd have to leave town because there's no way after everyone knew all our private thoughts and actions, we couldn't even talk to our family and friends. We just couldn't face them. That's the reality of actual sin, and it doesn't end there. There's, there's corporate sins. This is a corporate prayer of forgive us our debts. We're, we're to pray this corporately. As a people of God, we've sinned. We've turned a blind eye to injustice. We've been party to disunity. We, we've, we've lacked generosity. And I hope you're beginning to see that we owe a debt that we cannot pay. The, the, enor the, the enormity of it is, is overwhelming. And and we keep adding to it, right? You make a resolution, I'm going to stop doing this. How long does that last? I mean, we keep sinning. We keep accruing debt. That's why we can't pay it back. And when you understand this, you won't ask for more time to pay it back. You'll start asking for forgiveness. My friends, there, there is a forgiveness that we need to receive. Pelagius was a monk in the 4th and 5th century who denied original sin. I just laid out for you. He denied... Uh, human corruption from birth. He, he believed that Adam's sin was only Adam's sin. It didn't affect us. And so we're born ethically and morally neutral. We're, we're blameless at birth. And so he believed that it's possible for people to live a perfect life of righteousness. And he was opposed by the church father Augustine. Augustine opposed Pelagius, and his teaching was condemned as heretical at the Council of Carthage in 418. But as many have pointed out, Pelagianism, which is what Pelagius taught, Pelagianism, the denial of original sin and the belief that humans are born inherently good is alive and well. For example, a friend recently that posted on his Facebook feed, beware of Pelagian parenting. It's a pretty high-level post. I don't know how many people really appreciate it, but it caught my eye. And then he explained who is Pelagius. You know, what is Pelagian parenting? Well, well, it's this. I think hopefully you're, you're seeing where I'm going to go. Pelagian parenting believes that children are inherently good. So they don't need to be disciplined. They're good. They just need the right environment to thrive. And I would suggest that if you subscribe to the school of Pelagian parenting and you don't discipline to your, your, your children, you're in for a rude awakening. I mean, you, you shouldn't be surprised then that your children go off the, the, the rails. If we deny original sin, we do it to our own peril. See, if there's such a thing as Pelagian parenting, there's also uh, Pelagian preaching. What is that? It's preaching only how-to sermons. 
It's preaching that says, you know, we don't really need God's grace to save us. We just need instructions because we can save ourselves. It's been called Nike Christianity. Just do it. It's just all, it's all up to us. Let me put it this way. There is a reason why Trinity Seminary, where I went to seminary for three and a half years, there's a reason why Trinity Seminary has a security system in their library. <laughs> why is that? I mean, here, here's a, a group of very upstanding individuals. I mean, it's, it's, it's mature Christians who are preparing themselves to become pastors and missionaries. Why would they need a security system in the library? Because books get stolen every year. Or no, it's a seminary, so I should say, they're misplaced in backpacks. <laughs> um, here's a pretty good argument for original sin. There is a security system needed at Trinity Seminary. My friends, there is a forgiveness that we need to receive. And I would suggest to you that it's one of our greatest needs. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, puts it this way. He says, daily bread may make you live more comfortably but forgiveness of sins will make you die more comfortably because we're all going to face God one day. When we die, we're going to face God. Would you rather face him with unforgiven debt or forgiven debt? And so you see, if you're more concerned about your daily bread, your homes, your cars, your lifestyle, and you don't care about the forgiveness of your debts, it means we're being fundamentally unwise. Again, Thomas Watson puts it this way. He says, you would consider a prisoner unwise that should spend all his time with a cook to get his dinner ready, but should never mind getting a pardon. Imagine that. A prisoner being more concerned about his next meal than about getting a pardon. It's fundamentally unwise. And we are fundamentally unwise if we have a debt to God that we cannot pay and we're not seeking forgiveness. My friends, there is a forgiveness we need to receive. And once you see that, then it drives us right into our second point, which is a forgiveness that God gives. What many people assume is that God will just sweep sins under the carpet. I mean, that's the common idea in the street, right? I'm, you know, God's loving and merciful. I'm not a bad person. I know I've done bad things, but I've done a lot of good things and unbalanced. I've, I, I think I've done more good things than bad things. And, and God will give me a break. God will give me the benefit of the doubt. Virtually everyone assumes that good things are going to happen after death. I mean, at every funeral I go to, whether religious or not, people say, well, I'm so glad they're in a better place. That's just the common understanding. But in that, I wonder if we're presuming on God's mercy and forgetting that he is also a God of justice. Imagine if a judge in New Jersey let every convicted criminal in his court off the hook. I mean, what if he said, you know, I, I know you've done something wrong, really wrong, but let's just let bygones be bygones. I know deep down you're a good person, so, you know, I'm just going to forgive your, your crime and let you go. I mean, there would be public outcry. Cancel culture is evidence that we have a finely attuned, well-developed sense of justice these days. Wrongdoers must be punished. If you commit racism, you must be held accountable for that. You must be removed. Your statue must be taken down. Your name must be removed. We, we, we care greatly about justice. And therefore, if God is a God who can, we can worship and obey, he must be just. Could we worship and obey a God who didn't set everything right in the end, who didn't stand for justice? 
See, God just can't sweep sin under the carpet and be a just God. So the question then is, how can God, be, uh, how can God just forgive our sins and maintain his justice? God could certainly punish us and destroy us for our sins, and he would certainly be just, but there would be no mercy. How can God, this is God's dilemma in dealing with our debts. How can he be both just and merciful? And the answer is the good news of the gospel. The answer is what God does for us in Jesus Christ. He sent his son into the world, get this, to be our representative, to pay our debts for us. And so if you think that it's unfair that Adam was our representative and we fell with him, then you need to hear the good news of the gospel. That God didn't leave us on our own in his mercy. He sent us another representative, a second Adam. And by the same principle we fell in the first Adam, we can be saved through the second Adam by his representation on our behalf. Jesus is the only one who can serve as our representative in this matter. The only one who can pay our debts is someone who doesn't have debts of his own, who is sinless. And the only one who can pay the debts of the world is the one who can carry the enormity of the debts of the world. The eternal son of God. God poured out his punishment for sin on Jesus, our representative who paid our debts on our behalf. And when Jesus is our representative, therefore, we can be forgiven of our debts. You see, it's through Jesus Christ that God is both merciful and just. This is the forgiveness that God gives. I once heard Dick Kaufman, who used to minister at Redeemer in New York a number of years ago. I heard Dick Kaufman explain God's forgiveness this way. He says, imagine this. Imagine there's a family camping together and they wake up in the middle of the night to, fear, to hear a horrifying sound, a crackling sound. They look and see the wall of a forest fire coming toward them. It's too late to run. So what do they do? The father fumbles through the camping gear looking for something until he finds it. It's a lighter. And he proceeds to set a fire to the grass around them and then stamp it out creating a burned-out spot around their campsite, and they take cover on this burned-out spot so that when the forest fire comes upon them, it leaps over them and does not burn them. Why? On the principle that a fire will only burn something once. On the cross, Jesus faced the fire of God's judgment for our sin, which means that now Jesus Christ is our burned-out place. It's our refuge. We will not face the fire of God's judgment for our sin because Christ faced it for us. And we're forgiven. This explains what forgiveness is all about. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that's an interesting word. You'd, you'd expect God is faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins. But it says God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Because if Jesus paid the debt for our sins, it would be unjust of God to demand payment twice. My friends, it's the forgiveness that God gives. Forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ as our representative. If you hear this, and you're looking at your heart, and your life, and you're saying, I don't know if God can forgive me. I think God can forgive so-and-so, but if he knows truly what I've done, I don't know if God can forgive me. You need to look at the examples of Scripture. 
King David, an adulterer and murderer, is forgiven of his, of his sins evidenced by Psalm 51. The Apostle Paul, before he came to Christ, persecuted Christians. And yet he says in 1 Timothy, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Think of the thief on the cross. We don't know what he did, but he must have done something terrible to deserve crucifixion on a cross. He was forgiven by Jesus in the 11th hour. It's a forgiveness that God gives. That turns us to, thirdly, the forgiveness that we need to give. I point out something to notice. This is the only petition with a condition. There, there is a forgiveness that we need to give. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, Jesus says. It's, in fact, so important that Jesus restates it in verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You need to first understand what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus is not saying, and I need to be clear here, Jesus is not saying that we earn God's forgiveness by our forgiveness of others. Jesus doesn't say here, forgive us because we've forgiven others. Our forgiveness doesn't cause God's forgiveness. That would be works salvation, with, with, uh, which Scripture is clearly against. We're saved by grace. If our forgiveness somehow caused God's forgiveness, if God's forgiveness was somehow based on our forgiveness, that'd be a scary thought. Because our forgiveness is, is so imperfect. Jesus isn't saying that. So what is Jesus saying? There, there is a condition here that we can't avoid. And maybe it's helpful to think about it this way. It's not a precondition, but a postcondition. Maybe it's like, you know, someone gives you money without a precondition. They give you money, but they say, well, there's one condition. I, I, here's the money, but I want you to spend it, part of it, this way. That would be a postcondition. God forgives us with a postcondition, so to speak that we would forgive others. Because our forgiveness of others is evidence that we've been forgiven by God. Jesus here is, is saying you cannot be forgiven by God and turn right around and refuse to forgive others of their debts. If you've been forgiven of this, this great debt, and Jesus tells a whole parable about that in, in Matthew 18. You know, if you, if you were to win $500 million in the lottery, that, that should make you a generous person. It should make you forgive little debts of 5 or $10. Like, I, I'm, I'm a millionaire now. In the same way, if we've been forgiven by God, it should make us a forgiving person. Recently read, again, the story of Corey Ten Boom, which many of you are familiar with. Corey Ten Boom, remember, and her family were Dutch Christians who hid more than 800 Jews in their home during the German occupation in World War II of the Netherlands. And uh, the, the story is they were eventually betrayed and sent to concentration camps themselves. Corey's sister and father died in the, those concentration camps. And you're familiar with that story. And I, I recently read a new aspect of it. In the aftermath of the war, when everyone was picking up the pieces of their lives, after so much death and destruction and despair, 
Some Nazi collaborators were, were uh, looking for a place to live, and they were understandably rejected from a house that had been set apart from, for victims recovering from the injustice of the war. The victims were, were boiling with anger at the thought that men who caused their distress would be accepted in this house. And Corrie Ten Boom saw this, and she invited them to her old home. She housed Nazi collaborators in her own home who had thrown her into the concentration camps. It had been a hiding place for Jews, and now her home became a hiding place again, this time for her enemies who had betrayed her. My friend, that, that is supernatural forgiveness. And Jesus is saying there, there, there should be something of that in us. There, there's a forgiveness that we need to give, not to earn God's forgiveness, but as evidence of it. Because forgiven people forgive. Those who receive mercy show mercy to others. Now, I do need to be clear. There is, I think, a precondition to God's forgiveness, and it's this. You must ask for it. You must ask for it. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer this petition to ask for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness is recognizing our sin. It's owning up to it and taking responsibility for it. It is realizing we owe a debt that we cannot pay. And Christ paid a debt he did not owe. So we can ask for forgiveness. As Christians, because the Lord's Prayer is actually a prayer for Christians, we still ask for forgiveness. Not because we lose our acceptance before God when we sin. Not because we lose our standing in God's family when we sin. But we lose intimacy with our Heavenly Father when we sin. And a request for forgiveness is a way back into intimacy with our Heavenly Father. I wonder, have you asked for forgiveness from God our Father? Is this a regular part of your prayer life? The precondition of God's forgiveness is we must ask for it. And then there is one post-condition that we forgive others. There is a forgiveness that we need to give. Is there someone in your life right now that you need to forgive? Are you holding on to debts, not letting them go? See what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. Forgiveness is not making the other person pay, though you want to. They wronged you, and I want to make them pay. Forgiveness is letting go of that. I'm not going to make them pay. I have a right to revenge, but I'm going to give up that right to revenge. That's forgiveness. It is a promise to let go of debts and not keep bringing them back up again to the other person or to others or even to yourself. If you forgive them that debt, it's a promise to not keep bringing it back up again. Forgiveness, of course, does not mean there are no consequences. The thief on the cross was forgiven, but he still died for his crimes. Forgiveness doesn't mean you'll be best friends necessarily. Forgiveness is canceling a debt, not a person. And it's supernatural. It's supernatural work to do this. And to do it, we need to realize there is a forgiveness that we need to receive. There is a forgiveness that God gives. And my friends, when we experience God's forgiveness of our debts, we can then forgive others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord's Prayer. We thank you for Jesus teaching us how to pray, what to pray for. Lord, we are a people 
who have sinned and rebelled and been disobedient, and we need forgiveness for our debts regularly. Lord, help us to experience your rich mercy poured out upon us in such a way that we become merciful people, forgiving others because we've been forgiven. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.